come back Your dreams or your ticket out Welcome back To that same old place that you laughed about Hello, Seraphim. Welcome to episode 27 of The Voice of Seraphim, Silent Partner, recorded on Saturday, May 28th, 2011. The Voice of Seraphim is your source for all the news and information related to Magic Online and the Seraphim Clan. Seraphim hosts a weekly tournament, monthly leagues, and other regularly scheduled events, including a cube draft. We use voice chat and have an active forum at seraphimclan.org where you can find out more about the clan. In today's episode of The Voice of Seraphim, Eldritch Song, Dark Worship, Fist, and Avenge catch up on recent clan events, discuss clan-sponsored formats, and do a new Phyrexia crack pack thanks to Avenged. Due to technical difficulties, my audio was not recorded. As a result, there are some odd silences and times when Eldritch Song sounds like he's having a conversation with himself. But all in all, it's a good episode. I bought a box earlier at um, Paper. Nice. Got two coins out of it, so that was pretty decent. Two coins? Yep. Not bad. I'm checking out the uh, the rankings from the Grand Prix. Where was that at? Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, that's right. Somebody was talking about that last night. I was, I was never very good at keeping up with, with magic events. Never, this stuff never really interested me too much. I just like seeing the decks and following my favorite pros, even though this uh, this Grand Prix I'm not that interested in, really. It's a, it's a legacy Grand Prix. I guess that's not true. I am interested in it, but, like, I don't know about you guys, but it's, like, incredibly depressing to see, like, a legacy deck and know that you can't afford it. Like, I was reading a few articles and, like, looking at all the cards, and I see, like, a deck that I could almost build. I'm like, oh, wow, I could maybe make that. And then I add up the, the cost of the cards I don't have, and it's still $400. Yeah, that's like, I, I do that every time I look at a deck list, and I see that I need, um, and I see that I need Jace's and Tezzerit's, and I'm like, oh, well, that's about $200 I don't have right now. Well, for, even for these, it's like, you need, like, Four wastelands, which were like what sixty dollars each, something ridiculous like that, and then I don't know, even like pernicious deeds, vindicates, um, any of the fetch lands, uh, any of the dual lands, they're just ridiculous. Oh, wastelands are that expensive on Magic Online? Wastelands are nuts, yeah, like sixty dollars each, and of course, force of wills are like one hundred and sixty now. I don't know what they did with the boxes, but they changed up the way the paper boxes work because you get a lot more copies now than you ever did of rares. You used to like get, used to be lucky to get a second copy of a rare in a box. Now you get like seven or eight. That could be bad if it's a good rare. Well, it's good if it's a good rare, but a lot of times you get like two copies of like of a pretty sucky like dollar rare, and it's just like like why do you get so many copies these days? I don't know, I haven't bought a box since uh, Shadow Moor. 
like two coins is awesome. I, I was happy when I saw that, but I also got like some other stuff like two exographs. I'm like, really? Any other mythics? Did you get uh, the obliterator? No, I didn't get the obliterator. I did, I did get I, I did get two of those um predators, white predator, a foil and a normal one. No sword of war and peace. No batter skull. No, I didn't see a sword of war and peace. Like I said, I got a lot of like um like just some generic stuff. I, I swear I've got every chancellor that there is, or two of them. Did you pay for the box at least with the ratio open? Uh, I think coin's going for what forty right now, and open two of them, so that's about. That's like 80 out of the 100, so yeah, it's pretty decent. I think Karn went down a lot. Mm, maybe so. Yeah, Karn dropped off I'm recently. Har- I hardly ever, uh, people hardly ever make out in their boxes though, tr- truly. I did pretty good on mine that I bought. I got a Batter Skull, Sword of War and Peace, Phyrexian Obliterator. Four mental missteps, uh, some other stuff. I Came found common, isn't it? I didn't even look to see if I had any of those. Yeah, that's a five dollar uncommon right now. So. Yeah, is this is um I can't think of the name of it right now. That blue creature that draws you seven cards or whatever when it, when you flash it in, is that like worth anything? Two fifty to three dollars. It's a commander card at best. Yeah, I picked up two of those. I also got like two glistening oil, which seems like it sucks. This set's mostly worthless in terms of card value. Isn't every set? Every set has like maybe two or three rares. I was actually surprised with Mirrodin Siege how many like like semi money cards they had. I feel like. Rise of the Eldrazi had a lot of money cards. I don't know. I like the set. I mean, you've 30, Batter, Batter Skull going for 30, Sword of War and Peace going for around 25, Karn, right Karn 20, Obliterator around 15, and then Spellskite Metamorph are decent rares. I think it's like a double-edged sword. Like, on the one hand, like it kind of sucks when you're drafting or, like, cracking open packs that you're not getting that much value out of it, but I think, on the other hand, it's really good because it keeps, like, the cost of Instructed down. So I still don't think there should be a card that costs over $25, period. So, like, the, all the cards in the set are relatively cheap in that regard. I hope Karn comes down to, like, 15, and then I'll pick up a, a set, or however many, two or three. I was sad to see Tezra go to the Verdi in uh, paper. That was kind of ridiculous. So I'm really digging this print, this Priest of whatever it's called. It's just a, it's just a red version of that old black card, but it's still awesome. Um, pretty much every Chancellor, um, a fresh meat, um, two glistening rolls, two of those guys that remove a land when it comes into play, and every time you play a land, you lose two life or something like that. Um, a bunch of other random stuff, like a couple, a few of the Praetors, two of the white Praetors.
still don't really know the set too well, so I don't even know if I'm naming. I don't even know if I'm naming stuff that anybody cares about. I'm probably leaving out the stuff that everybody's like. Ah, you didn't get one of those. I'm mostly interested in like the uncommons now, like uh, Chris Tame Terminal is really looking to get dismembers, and those are pretty awesome. I finally picked up two before the tournament started. Awesome uncommons and commons in this set are kind of ridiculous. Oh, and I was playing my uh, playing this, the pre-release, and somebody hit me with that uh, the new edict, and that was disgusting. I want some of those. I think I've got like 10 million of them online. Man, bots are selling Tezzard's Gambit for almost two tickets on here. I got two mental mishaps in my box, so. That's not too bad. I, I can't remember who was talking about it, but someone said uh, there was some print issue where a lot of the more mental missteps was actually underprinted for its rarity. I'm going to see the same uncommon so many times in a box. It's, you know, it's, and it, it seems like the really good uncommons, the ones that actually do get up to five dollars, like blood braiding stuff. You just don't see that many of them. Um, I always say we saw a bit of it. I mean, we I mean, we did have a few decks that were, um, you know, around before Uthorexia came out. They just added in a couple of new cards. Uh, we had uh, decks like Dark's deck that I'll just tell you about later that I think were pretty innovative. Um, I think most of the decks probably existed before Nefarexi and just added a couple of new cards here and there, but like the set had only come out the day before, and really it's not out yet, so some of the cards are pretty available in limited quantities, so I imagine there weren't much of an opportunity for people to make truly awesome decks with Nefarexia because of cards not being available to them. I did see one of my opponents was, was doing some kind of combo, and I never, I never actually got to see it go off. It was like Crab Umbra and um, one of those ally people. Oh, that's not anything new. That's just an infinite mana combo into a ride of replication on the mill ally, usually. That was something I hadn't seen before. So. Um, one thing to like about the tournament, though, is we had 14 people, which is probably the largest tournament we've had probably in over six months, or, or possibly over a year. Like, we had a really large tournament this time. Um, and for the most part, everybody was running a different deck, except for, with the exception where I think uh, there were three decks that were the same. Uh, there were three people that ran Vampires, myself included, and there were two allied decks, but they weren't the same because they had... I think one was three colors and one was four colors. But uh, everyone else was actually running a different archetype, and we tried to count them all. Like we had like, a mono blue deck, we had darks deck, we had uh, pasta playing animal crackers. See, so there was a Valakut deck, there was a Cobblade deck. Um, yeah, I mean, we had... I guess anybody think of any other ones that were there? It was a, a White Quest deck, and, yeah, there's a few others also that were... I was playing a um, I was playing a mill deck pretty much, but you know, you know, they didn't really get very far. So uh, this is also the first tournament we've had ever, actually. That's uh, we've done a top eight in. 
I don't know if you noticed that while you're looking at the rankings, die cuts. So yeah, we actually finished three rounds of Swiss, and then we had a top eight, so that we had three more rounds, essentially, of single elimination playoffs um, in order to get to the the top two. Hello. Hey, this. I was playing um, Red Black Vampires, um, and so was Leonard McCoy and Wahoo Junkie. Um, so there were a few mirror matches. Actually, the finals was a mirror match between Vampires. I think it was kind of ironic considering all the decks we had show up, that the two Vampire lists, well, actually, all the Vampire lists made the top four, uh, and it was the top two versus, was between Vampires. Uh, first round, I was um, I played against um, a Valica deck that was piloted by Killer Cox. Um, that was actually quite hard. Um, and then I faced Shrike, who was playing the uh, Mono White Quest deck. And then I faced Leonard in the third round of Swiss, who was playing uh, the Vampire deck. So that was a mirror match. I lost that match. So I was 2-1 in the Swiss. And then I went to top 8. And I played Killer Cox again uh, with Valakut. Then I faced Dark Worship for, in the top 4. And then I faced Wahoo Junkie in another mirror match in the top 2 and won that one. Oh, it went all right. Two and one through the Swiss rounds. Went into the top eight as number six and uh, got revenge on Shrike for beating me in the third round. And then, uh, I mean, if any of the clan members are interested in seeing my actual tournament report, I've got that in my Tezzeret forums. Uh, of course, I ran blue-black Tezzeret control. With some of the uh, new Phyrexian cards, like Spellskites and Head Swords in there. So there's a little bit more of an aggressive version of Tezzeret. And um, I think I was 8-5 and five overall in games, so that seemed pretty promising for the deck. Lost to a song in the top four. Off of a string of some uh, pretty insane draws by him. Yeah, definitely one of the best performing cards in the deck was Dark Tutelage. Um, and against that, that one game with Dark, I had a Dark Tutelage just going off. And so I was drawing two cards to every one he was drawing, essentially. Um, so, and whenever he played something, I'd always end up drawing like a Lightning Bolt or a Dismember or another creature or something to hold him back longer and ended up. Uh, Finally getting there, barely. I uh, almost killed myself on my own Dark Tutelage. But if, if the game had gone on... See, if he, if he had drawn one more land, or the game had gone on one more turn, I would have lost. But I didn't, and I drew the cards I needed to finish him off. Yeah, but it was... I don't think any, like, none of the games I played the entire tournament were ever easy wins. They were all, they all came down to the wire. They all came down to, like, a few life because everybody was, I think everybody from those were playing pretty aggressive decks, except for pissed off, I think, in Dark Kind of, who were playing semi-control or straight-up control. So everybody was going for your lap total, and it was, uh, all the matches were pretty close. And in the finals against the mirror match, it was Dark Tulage again that was essentially the game winner. Like, whichever vampire deck 
played the Dark Toolish first as the deck that won, because you just couldn't fight the card advantage. Because it was, I mean, essentially the, with vampires, it's just trading back and forth. You know, someone plays a vampire, it gets killed. You play a vampire, that gets killed. So it's whoever had the most cards is the one that won that those games. And so, I, I don't know, I was pretty happy with the way Vampires went. I wasn't planning on playing that. I was, gonna, I was actually planning on playing, like, some kind of blue-black poison control list, but then I saw, I think Fist mentioned it yesterday, uh, an article on Star City Games. I think it was by Brad Nelson, who was just talking about some of the top five decks in the standard right now. And he mentioned the Vampires, which I hadn't played for a while. I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I've always liked that deck. Uh, and so he made a few changes. Like, the only changes really that the Vampire deck had from the way it was before is that uh, the one I was playing, at least, had more Manic Vandals in the main board for Artifact Removal, and it had two cards from New Phyrexia, Dismember, um, which I picked up before the tournament started, um, and those were pretty good overall. Dismember, is that that card from Ravnica, or, or is it entirely new card? Oh, it's from New Phyrexia, and it's the... It costs one and two Black Phyrexia mana, and it Target creature gets minus five, minus five. Oh, okay. No, I'm thinking of disembobulated or something like that. And it was a bit high on the curve, but um, it actually was very good removal because it could take care of pretty much anything. Um, and uh, it was definitely nice to be able to cast it for either one, two, or three. I guess overall, I was just glad to see so many people show up for this tournament. I was kind of surprised at the turnout. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure part of the factor uh, was that Nivorexia had just come out. Everybody wanted to try out Standard, uh, and that they were all in anyway, I guess, just being there for the pre-release. But, you know, whatever the reason, it was nice to see so many people online playing Standard. We almost broke our record. We had a couple more people. We would have had the highest tournament attendance ever. So that's something to be proud of. I think this week, and hopefully we can. I don't know. Hopefully we can keep it up. I would like to see the same kind of tournament attendance for the next couple tournaments. Um, but you know, I'm not sure what, whether that's going to happen or not. But I would like it to. Um, and there have been some suggestions in the forums, maybe that we should have more standard tournaments because apparently that's probably the most popular format. I would say in the clan for the most part. But I could be wrong. But maybe the tournament attendance just bears that out. Well, yeah, I mean, I, per, personally, I think it, standard tournaments would almost always get a bigger bigger show out than almost any other tournament you have. But, I mean, that's just how it is. I mean, suggestion that... Leo had would be like to drop one of our less popular tournaments and just include two standard ones um, each rotation. So maybe drop like Build Your Own Standard or I think you said Chromatic is the other one. 
think I said that about uh, four or five months ago. Not sure though. Pretty certain. I mean, the thing with build your own standard though is that you can play standard decks in there. But isn't build your own, but isn't build your own standard one of our, one of our more popular formats actually? I you know I'm not sure whether we have any format that's unpopular. Like I thought people liked build your own standard, and I thought people liked the chromatic tournament, but I can't I can't say I guess. I don't think anybody can argue that Popper is pretty popular, um, and Standard, obviously. So, Mendes Leaves, Block, Build Your Own Standard, and Chromatic are the formats that people, um, well, that I can't definitively say are popular enough to, to warrant. My vote's on Block, but it's whatever. There's out there. Anybody have any opinions on that, besides The Avenged? Well, I would prefer to drop Chromatic, to be honest. I like Standard, but, I mean, of course I can be a little bit biased, just because that's the format that I do play all the time. Um, I mean, honestly... Popper's probably my least favorite tournament just because it's so boring to me. Well, it's not necessarily that I like Standard because I don't really care for Standard all that much compared to some certain other formats. But I do understand that it's one of the more popular formats and that it's more accessible to, you know, as a whole, it's more accessible to a lot of people, you know, because it's the current cards everybody's going to have around them. I mean, the second be set for Block, though, as well. Yeah, but if you if you just if you look at if you look at the formats as a whole, a blocks a lot less played than standard. Not right now, it isn't. But I get your point. Usually, it is. Yeah, no, I like Pauper, I like Block, and I like Standard. And build your own Standard is quite fun. Um, it's just that I'm not used to chromatic. Whilst chromatic is a little bit, you know, it's a seraphim thing, if I'm not mistaken. So it'd be sort of sad to to take that off as well. I mean, is is there, is there an online format like chromatic? No, no chromatic is kind of um, seraphim's brainchild, and so that's why I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with that one. No, exactly. When I thought a bit about it, I mean, if it's our little thing, you know, uh, according to all the colors and everything, we should probably keep that. Uh, I think it's good as it is, to be honest. I mean, well, one thing that could be taken into consideration is that we are going to introduce, um, hopefully soon, uh, at least 10 new events um, over the course of the year. So those would be like the five Grand Prix type tournaments, the four Pro Tour and the one Worlds so that I was talking about, including with the Seraphim Players Club. And uh, so if we did actually remove Chromatic as one of our Weekly tournaments, we could always use that as a format for one of our uh, bigger tournaments. And we have to consider that I would like to have some kind of format for our like Grand Prix tournaments or whatever that are different from our weekly tournaments and that allow people to be competitive 
and at the same time make them semi-accessible to people. So, I mean, Chromatic could be, if you drop that from our weekly tournament rotation, that could be an option for a format for, like, the Grand Prix tournaments, for instance. One on an off note, um, I was thinking about just starting up at some point during the week, just a Momer little tournament, just for fun, um, my work schedule changes every single week, so I can't have a set date, but I was going to post something to see if people are interested and try to put together a time for that. See, the thing, yeah, is for, if you're playing Momir, just the ba- Momir, it's called Momir Basic, it's just the only thing that you're going to get when you tap mana is you're going to get creatures. And the, the I guess what makes the format somewhat hard um, and less random is that you have to know which mana costs have the most efficient creatures. And also the way it works that I think you have to discard a land, right, from your hand whenever you activate Momir. So it's, you have to have the option of playing a land or discarding a land. And you don't want to run out of land because it's kind of like your fuel almost. So it's got this thing like, you know, deciding which mana costs provide the most efficient creatures. So which mana costs do you want to activate or you want to just keep on playing land and hope that you get something. There's actually more gotcha. depth to it than you would think there is, at first glance. And one mana cost you want to stay away from this, I think, six. Wasn't it seven for Phage? Um, there's also, because there's that one guy who comes into play and bounces all your, cre- all your creatures back to your hand. I think Phage is six, actually. No, Phage is seven. Well, that's who I was thinking of. When she uh, comes into play in any other way besides you playing it from your hand, you lose the game. And I forget who it was, because we were playing like a six-way clan momer game at one point. And uh, someone was like, oh, you don't want to be using seven mana because I've gotten phaged so many times through that. Yep. Um, I guess while we're talking about formats, something else that I thought was interesting is um, Fracture posted a uh, an idea for a new format. Let me find it. Yeah, I didn't read that post. Could you indulge us? Yeah, he's calling it um, Flat Color Magic. Um, and someone else has pointed out, I think it was Leonard, that said it sounds like a format called Five Moons. Uh, so anyway, I went through and I read through all this, and it sounds kind of cool. And it might be another way to use, like, our chromatic tournaments without having to maybe have them as a weekly tournament. I'm not sure, but or it could just be a totally separate thing. Um, but let's see. The way he has it is each player picks a different color prior to the tournament and builds a 60-card singleton extended deck. Um, and you can't have more than eight cards that are not from your picked color. And picked colors may only contain mana symbols on them from allied colors. Okay, and decks might not have color or basic land names in them that are not your color. Jesus. Not, not really sure what that meant. Uh, let's see. Lands don't count. Winning the game. Okay, so for each of your enemy colors that you eliminate, you get one point. For each player you eliminate, you get half a point. And you get one additional point if you're the first player to have both of your opponents eliminated. 
So I was reading that. I thought that sounded kind of cool. And then when uh, Leonard McCoy posted the um, thing about five moons, I think probably if we were going to use that format, it might be nicer to use some of the rules from five moons because it's a bit cleaner than what Fracture, I think, it put up. But I'm not sure. It could be. It could go either way. Maybe it's just me not reading Fracture's post the way he intended it to be read. So maybe if he came on here, he could explain it better. But that was a pretty cool idea. It's a, a, a multiplayer format where you have five people and each person has their own color deck. And, I mean, essentially, the way, I like, one thing I like about Five Moons is that there are three ways to win. You can either eliminate your two enemy colors or you could eliminate all the players and be the last person standing. Um, let's see. Or... Let me see the last way. I don't know, but that's at least two ways. You eliminate your enemy colors or you defeat everybody at once. Uh, you win when both of your opposing colors on the color wheel are dead. That's a victory. Or an allied victory is when allied players win at the same time. And total domination is when there's one player left and nobody has won before now. So I know that some people are pretty into multiplayer formats, so I thought that was kind of cool to have it as a tournament at some point. Probably casual, though, because it wouldn't work in, I don't think, a, um, an actual tournament setting. Yeah, it sounds a bit daunting, but interesting. At the same time, though, I'm still looking for formats or tournament structures to use um, for those events to talk about the Seraphim Players Club. And one idea I had was to use um, the modern format that they introduced for this, the Community Cup as one of the formats to play. Could you explain that a little bit, because I haven't heard that one before. Modern. Yep. Is yep. That just like a is that just like a standard, a standard or something or what? It's it's like old, old extended almost. It's all text from um, Mirrod and Ford, and they call it mar- modern because they're talking about the modern frames. So all the sets that are printed using the modern frames are legal in the modern format. So Eighth um, Edition and Mirrod and Ford. Oh, okay. That sounds kind of cool. Um, and they. Wizards um, introduced that as a format for the for the Community Cup only, and uh, they actually had a post on the Daily MPG about how they're using that as a as a springboard to test the format to see if there's interest in making a new format or maybe even replacing extended with uh, the modern format. And so they also had their own band list and things like that. So I thought that looks kind of cool, and um, I'm not sure what kind of interest there is in the clan in playing non-standard formats like extended or. Um, think of that. So I, I know that people, for the most part, like formats like Classic and Legacy. The barrier that though is just like the dollar amount of how much it costs to purchase that. Um, I think also probably another barrier is just the, how, how daunting it is to have to make a deck out of you know the entire you know every single card that's ever been printed. So I'm not sure whether people would be interested in um, having a like a tournament format being. Um, such a huge pool of cards, relatively speaking, to like compare, compare to like standard or block, for instance. But I thought it might be cool to have a maybe a different format for our Grand Prix tournaments. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, for a Grand Prix tournament, I have something like Modern, which is a non-standardized um, format that would actually take a lot of initiative from the players, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I think. I mean, I, I've just experienced there's a lot of clan members that are playing Legacy with, you know, Tier 2 type decks. Um, that is, I mean, they're not spending the high, high dollar amounts, but they're building, you know, 
decks like uh, black, white, green creatures. I just spent the whole afternoon playing with the various uh, clan members, and you know they are beating up some some of my tier one decks consistently, like three games in a row. So I mean, you can actually by not spending, you know, a lot less than a, a tier one standard deck, definitely can actually build some some cool things and they can actually use these decks when they play in the two mans and even to go into daily so I think that seems to be interesting for 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 a few at least I mean the number of observations are not not huge but you know given that you I mean you, you have to sort of invest into get something that is a semi good or tier tier two or tier one and a half uh, but you can actually use it a lot and it doesn't rotate as much as well um, yeah, just some thoughts. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I would rather, you know, I don't like, to, I like to play formats where I have a large card pool and I can, I'm not restricted, you know, in my deck building, you know, like versus like standard where you're restricted by like this card last two years or whatnot. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I was, I was playing um, a member just before the podcast and he he used one of these uh, black white uh, creature sort of hate bears deck that has been you know consistently top picked in the the stars of the game circuit, and he replaced it cards like Termogoyf with cheap alternatives, but he still you know beat me and several others to the punch consistently. So you can if you dig around a bit you can find similar alternatives. I think that's true. Um, one thing I like about the modern format, though, is that it does, I think, cut down on the... the I, think, I don't think you can argue that you can't... Like, I think it's possible to make budget legacy decks that can be semi-competitive, but the truth of the matter is they're never going to be as competitive as the non-budget decks. And I think that's just the, a truth of being... It's the same in standard. You can't... You can build a standard... I mean, a, a budget UW control, but if you're not playing Jaces, you're going to be at a disadvantage whenever you play a deck that does have Jaces. That's just the reality of the way magic is played. And one thing I like about a modern is that it does it cuts off at Mirrodin, and that does uh, I mean it includes a, a, you know a huge amount of cards, but also at the same time it also excludes a lot of the really broken expensive cards that make legacy kind of hard to get into. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But just for reference, I think it's actually easier or cheaper to build a a pretty good cheap deck in Legacy uh, than in Standard. The Standard is so restricted to, to, to the card pool and the good cards tend to actually rise in price fairly quickly. I mean it's fairly easy to identify, identify which, which cards are you know the best and that you should use. Um, yeah, just some thoughts. No, I agree completely. Uh, one thing that's hard about Standard is the fact that the card value is not stable, that they're going to be fluctuating off and on all the, the entire time they're in standard. Um, yeah, and, no, I mean, yeah. That's yeah, a benefit no, yeah. of both Legacy and I think the modern format is that they're non-rotating formats. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, what puts me off with standard, especially the last few months, is that, you know, prices are so volatile. It's like you think you spent even a few hundred ticks on a, on a good deck, you know, it could be half price, well, you know, it's... <laughs> Or doubled, but you know, if people want to, I think it'd be. I think either. I think modern could make a good format for our Grand Prix tournaments. I just don't want to put a format out there that people would be like, "Well, that's 
too expensive or too hard to play. I don't think Modern would be that hard to play in, personally. I mean, it's just like a mirror extended. And most of the cards that are mirrored in forward really are not not that expensive to acquire. Any more than they would be to build a standard deck now. No, I agree. For, for a Seraphim Grand Prix... If we take the modern format, that means that you you would be restricted in, in terms of net decking. So you as a deck builder, etc., you, you have to be more advanced and developed in that, that sort of respect. Uh, so I think it makes sense. But I would say that if, if we were, if, if just from, from my point of view, if we were to introduce, let's say, modern weekly events, or sorry, monthly events, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on that because... I don't have super much time, and most of my time actually spent on developing decks within the formats that, that currently interest me, meaning that I can play dailies in or, or even PEs, etc. That's just my sort of thoughts. I guess that's another consideration, since Modern is not officially supported yet, and perhaps not ever, but people will be willing to spend time to invest in cards and build a deck for a format they're only going to be playing for one of our events. Maybe more than that, maybe maybe three or four events of ours a year. Yeah, no, I wouldn't take it as seriously as I, I could have if it was a um, you know a supported format. If you see my my point. I mean, I do I do think at some point they're going to have to introduce a new extended because there's too large of a gap between legacy and standard right now, and it's just going to get larger and larger every new set that comes out, and they have to have some kind of middle ground. So I think it's inevitable at some point that there's going to be a middle format between Legacy and Standard that actually works. Um, but until then, I'm not, I don't want to force people to invest in cards they might not be able to play with for another year or so, depending on how fast Wizards moves on creating a new format. Yeah, and on that topic, Eld, have you been playing any Extended lately, like the last two months? No, I haven't. No, I mean, I tried it out uh, during the Extended season, the, the Pro Tour qualifier season in, well, in the beginning of the year. Uh, but it seems to be like, it was sort of like a fluke, you know, just because of the PT, PTQ uh, Tour, um, it became like super popular. Card prices doubled within weeks. And as soon as that ended, you know, no one seems to be playing it anymore, which is a bit sad because it is, it's supposed to be sort of the middle ground between Standard and Legacy or Classic. So even when you think about that, though, like the way they have it extended set up now, it's just the last six blocks. So it's like twice standard, but there's still like like ten or fifteen blocks between th like that and you know it's just ridiculous how huge the gap is between legacy and even the extended now is not does not encompass enough cards that should be a, a, you know a, legit, a, a really good format. No. No, that, that, that was what I felt as well. I mean, it became a bit boring because it was sort of last season standard decks that dominated, right? Fairies, well, even Jun was there, you know, in the beginning. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I wanted to play because I I missed the last standard season. I got to play with Jun at the end of that, but then uh, it rotated pretty quickly after that, maybe about three or three months after I started playing it. So for me, it was nice to go back and play almost like I, would, like I was replaying all those standard decks from the previous season. But after that happened, it was kind of like it just got old when you realized that you weren't going anywhere, the format wasn't going to go anywhere, and that all the, like, all the good cards and extended right then were all the lower win cards, and then you knew that in like a few months all the lower win cards were going to be rotating out anyway. 
it just seemed kind of useless to play that format anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was the same problem of you know with standard that like you have it's a, it's a it was a, it's a rotating format. I want to I want to play in a in a, a non rotating format for once. Yeah, no, that's Pauper. I think Pauper is a great format. It's stable, fairly stable. It's fun, it's quick. It has everything, you know, very similar to the Eternal format. You can build so such powerful decks and, and Pauper, it's just amazing. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I started online just like a few months before Jund rotated out, so that was the first deck that I got when going into the extended season. And then I, you know, got one or two other decks that were sort of similar to the standard builds. Uh, so yeah, it was fun to sort of re-experience the previous season. But yeah, it was became pretty stale. So I mean, all that said, I said, I still do want to. I, I, I want. I, I want to have one of our Grand Prix tournaments, maybe within the next month or two, just so we could test that out. Maybe find a good format to play in. I want to have at least one of our Grand Prix things, one of our Pro Tour things, and then have a Worlds at the end of this year. So at least three other events before the end of this year. The way come the next year, we may actually start. I guess start for real. I don't want to say that, but you know, start adding in the events as they were meant to be from the beginning of the year to the end. The way we actually have a template to sort of work from. So, I mean, I, I am still looking for, you know, formats and tournament structures to, you know, make these events. Ex like, I, I want to get people to actually want to qualify for these events because, you know, they have good prizes and because the formats are interesting and because there's just something maybe a prestige and playing in these events and doing well that is not necessarily there when you're playing in our weekly tournaments. Even though there is, like, I guess, some good recognition for winning our weekly tournaments. I want to make these tournaments actually special, so I want to find a good format for those and maybe do something different than we do usually to make those exciting. So I guess I'm just looking for suggestions of what people would be you know, willing to build decks for and what kind of formats they, or even like structures like they, they would like to see in these tournaments. Yeah, no, I agree. It should be special. But just a word of caution. Um, I don't know for, for, for the broader audience. I mean, first of all, what what is the? How do you qualify for the for the GP? Is everyone uh, sort of welcome, or do you need to qualify by by gearing up in the players club, or how how will sort of the qualification work? Players club dictates that. Sorry. Hey, Lee Bench said uh, the players club dictates that. He's correct. Um, the way. Players Club currently works is if you receive at least five points, so you're a level two member right now. And you know the points the point values can change. So let's just say go by levels. If you are a level two member in the Players Club, you get one invite to a Grand Prix tournament. So at the at the lowest level you get access to the tournaments to level two, you get access to one out of the you know the five overall, and you can pick any one of those to join, and that's sort of your invite to get in. And all you have to do is get level two in order to get your first opportunity to play in these tournaments. And then as you get higher up in these levels, you get invites to, you know, the other Grand Prix and then to the Pro Tour once and then finally to the World. So the higher you up, the more access you have to all these special tournaments. Okay, got it. And basically, by just sort of signing up to our weekly events, you could actually reach level two by yeah signing up to five events. So in five weeks, you could actually reach level two. By just participating. Exactly. 
And the reason for that is that, you know, our, I'm not going to kind of cloak this, but our, our turnaround attendance is pretty low considering the amount of people we have in the clan. We have a clan of almost 160 people, probably maybe more than that now. And it's a bit sad when our events draw at most. Like, I mean, I'm proud of the, this last tournament, but 14 people is not a bad number. But honestly, I think I think we can do a lot better considering the, the sheer quantity of people that we have in the clan. Um, and so I had the point values low because I wanted to sort of make sure that people at least had the opportunity to join so they couldn't, you know, so I couldn't blame the like, tournament attendance on the fact that people weren't qualified. Yeah, no, true. I mean, I think we talked about this um, many times. I'm, I'm also completely surprised. 160 members, you know, and we get, what, on average between seven and nine people on average every weekly tournament. Yep. So, I mean, all, all, I think all, like most of the systems here are just devised to get more people to participate. So, you know, you get the Players Club, you have the trophies, you have prizes, things like that. So hopefully that'll get more people interested. Yeah, and the practice, I mean, it's very, very good practice, I must say. I mean, it's um, the level is high. The the variety of decks you'll face when, when you know, playing maybe three three to five matches, uh, it's um, it's good. It's good practice. Yep, so the way I actually had the Grand Prix sort of, well, the way Dark and I discussed earlier when we first thought about this idea is that every um, every 10 events or every 10 weeks, there would be one Grand Prix event. Um, so you'd have essentially two rotations of our format rotation to get there, so 10 events to play in. So even if you, if you just participated in the 10 events and never won anything, never placed, you know, higher than, you know, fourth, you would still be qualified to play in at least that Grand Prix that was following on, on the tail end of that. Yeah, makes sense. And also, just just you know, uh, one thing for us Europeans: uh, if we could make these Grand Prix on a Saturday afternoon Eastern Standard Time, because that means it would be early evening in in Europe. I was actually thinking about having maybe it be. I mean, I guess it, it obviously depends. I can't find a time that works for everybody. But um, I was thinking of maybe doing like almost an all-day event where you start like in the morning, maybe East, maybe Eastern time, and then you go go forward from there. I don't know how some people like how how their Saturday mornings or Saturday afternoons or whatever are taken up. But um, I think it'd be nice to have an event that was actually more substantial than just you know our typical event. Ah, oh, so what were you thinking? It several different formats or? Yeah, I was thinking of maybe a two-part format. So maybe the first part could be constructed. Like maybe there could be like three rounds of constructed and then three rounds limited and then three more rounds of constructed and then a top eight or whatever. Yeah, that's ambitious. I mean, I do want the tournaments... I mean, it is ambitious, so maybe it's too ambitious, but I do want the tournaments to feel like a actual legitimate... Magic, PTQ, Grand Prix, Pro Tour, whatever, for the Seraphim Clan. So that people, when they, I want the top four, when they finish this tournament, to feel like they really, really worked for it and that they earned all the, you know, the prizes they get and the time they spent and that it was time well spent, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, well, when you say limited, are we talking sealed? So that you would sort of distribute a card pool just like we do in the league or 
Can you simulate the draft somehow? We can simulate a draft. Um, Tapdown.net will let you simulate a draft. We've actually done that already. Um, before we held one draft that I know of, but I was able to play in, and we drafted Scar's Block, and that worked perfectly. So I imagine that we could probably do the exact same thing in a tournament format and just have different pods and get everybody to get on Tapdown.net and draft and then bring all those cards into Magic Online. And if people maybe didn't have certain mythics or rares or whatever that we could loan them to them for the duration of the tournament to play in and get those back. I mean, I think the logistics would be a bit difficult to work out, um, but I think it's all doable if you really want to have a limited portion of a tournament. Yeah, that could be interesting, actually. I, th I think that would be a great idea, because that would be as close as you could get to sort of attending a a professional or paper pro, pro tour or something like that, right? The whole day, eight to ten hours, you know, that'd be quite quite interesting. I mean, I know that probably sounds like a pretty big deterrent to some people that don't want to, they don't or can't spend that much time playing Magic, but I think there are probably enough people that really would enjoy a real tournament environment that simulates the way the tournaments are actually played in paper that would be interested in having a tournament like that, as long as the prize at the end was worth all the time. Yeah, I, I actually like the idea a lot. But I think, yeah, I would need a few months to prepare because, yeah, I, pre I prepare slowly. I mean, I don't have huge amounts of time, even though I spend too much time online. <laughs> but, you know, for, for, you know, I have to learn sealed, draft... So I think we would have to have a heads up of maybe two to three months to prepare. Yeah, that was actually the idea. It was, I mean, it'd be the same thing that Wizards does. That At the start of the year, you would publish the entire schedule for the year, you know, the different Grand Prix events, and then have the formats for each one already set before, you know, the, before the year even starts. So that at the beginning, you could just set that. People could sit there and look at the schedule and figure out, well, I want to play in this one, so I have this much time to study this format and find a good deck. And you know that kind of thing. So I have a question: Is um, is this is this season like like just just, just a trial season where we're just like kind of learning the ropes and learning how the system works? And are we actually going to have a Grand Prix or whatnot in this um in this season we're in right now? I want to have a Grand Prix in this season. I want to have one Grand Prix in this season, one Pro Tour, and one Worlds the way, and hopefully get new names for them. Cause I'm tired of calling them that. Uh, but have at least one of each this year that way we can, like I said, I mean, it is a trial run, obviously, but I want to make it a legitimate trial run. We actually do exercise all of these systems, so have at least one of these events to test them out. So I, I am planning on maybe in a couple months having a Grand Prix and then maybe in another few months having the Pro Tour and then in December having the World and testing all of that out. Um, and, you know, even the point system right now is sort of a trial run. I want to see how many points people can get, you know, playing in our events by the end of this year, because like I said, I don't want to have, you know, 20 level 8s. So I want to, you know, even now, just getting points, all these point values could change by next year, and your levels could change just because we want to make sure the system is balanced and it'll work and that over the course of a year we're not going to have, you know, a, a top-heavy system where everybody's, you know, level 7 or 8 and, you know, gets all those benefits because that would just unbalance the entire thing. And like I said, I don't want to go into, you know, the next year not knowing, you know, can we actually make this Grand Prix format work? Can we make this Pro Tour format work? Can we make the Worlds format work? I want to be able to test those out this year um, and actually see if we can get those to work. And if they don't, 
you know, having me have another one to see whether we can iron out what didn't work, what will work, and a bit more concrete evidence than just, you know, I wish that we could do this. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. This next month's league is actually going to be a bit different than what we've been doing previously because we've actually run out of blocks. We've played all the blocks that are on Magic Online, um, and that could be easily converted to our proper format. People can actually afford to play those cards. Um, so what we're going to do for what I thought we should do for the next couple of leagues, uh, at least until the new sets come out, is to start like doing almost a build-your-own-block limited format. So I went through and went back to sort of the start of where we did our leagues, and then I've been um, picking one set from each block and combining those into one whole block. So I'm not sure whether it'll work, but uh, the next month's league, the sets that you'll be able to use are Champions of Kamigawa, Guild Pact, and Future Sight. And so that's from the Kamigawa block, the Ravnica block, and the Time Spiral block. And those are the three sets that you'll be using out of those different blocks. That's been finalized? Yeah. Well, I mean, it hasn't been officially spoiled, but they I mean they have... The, they've released several videos where at the very end they show Gideon as a card with the M12 symbol on him, so we're pretty, almost 100% sure that he's coming in for M12. The only Planeswalker that's been officially spoiled for M12 is Soren Markov. Yeah, they posted a thing on it, Daily MTG. I saw that, I saw that two new cards. I mean, I, so I'm pretty sure the Planeswalker lineup will be the other three lower-end Planeswalkers, uh, Jace, Chandra, and Garrett, plus two new ones, which will be Gideon and Soren Markov. Uh, I think we discussed this before. I think it makes it makes some sense, I think, to drop a Johnny because he never really has been that popular as a Planeswalker. And um, I, like, Fracture made a good point where I think they're dropping Liliana because they're planning on reprinting her and or reprinting a version of her in Innistrad, in which case they want to avoid the whole Jace problem where there are two Jaces legal in the same format. So in that case, the two Planeswalkers they ended up dropping uh, makes sense. And I think Gideon and Soren Markov, from like a story fan perspective, are probably one of the two most popular Planeswalkers right now besides Jace the Mind Sculptor. Or Jace the character, that is. Um, and it is nice they finally gave a keyword to that ability that sort of hasn't had a keyword for it before. So they just kind of decrease the amount of text they have to put on cards uh, so they can actually have other interesting things going on in those cards since they have more room to print stuff. Um, hexproof, uh, it sounds a bit childish, I think, and there's no way to avoid that. But then again, so do a lot of the mechanics that we've gotten kind of used to. So I, mean, I guess I can't really argue against it. Uh, but yeah, it does It does sound kind of juvenile, hexproof, but I guess they could have picked worse. <laughs> Um, different from Shroud because you can target your creature, they can't. Your opponents can't. Yeah, so you can equip your own guys with a sword, for instance. Um, they call it Troll Shroud. That's the way that it's been referred to um, prior to this, um, since most, most uh, the original card that first had this ability was Troll Aesthetic from Mirrodin, um, and... Almost a lot of the other trolls have it, so Thrun has Troll Shroud. That's one of his abilities. And so when he, I guess he'll be, his, his, on Magical Line, his heat text will be replaced with uh, Hexproof as part of his um, description. 
Um, but they didn't want to call it that, obviously, because there have been creatures that have been printed with the same ability that aren't trolls, so it would make sense to call it Troll Shroud. Um, and that just sounds kind of stupid also. I guess Hexproof is as, as good of a compromise as we're going to see. And I think, I mean, I, just, I, I agree with them wanting to keyword the ability. So, I mean, Hexproof is as good as any other, I suppose. Um, well, Blood Cards is actually an old mechanic from the Ravnica block. It was, came out in Guild Pack, but um, I don't know how I feel about that coming back. I mean, I, I was never impressed with the mechanic originally in the first place. So, I mean, it's whatever to me, but... Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Like, it's... Um, like, one of the... Like, the philosophy is, of course, that they have to, they have to bring back at least one, uh, one keyword ability from a previous set to sort of reinvigorate it, I guess. And they did, like, M11, they brought back Scry. And I wasn't that excited about Scry either, but, I mean, Scry is actually pretty good, and I like the fact that they have it again. But, you know, it's not, it wasn't like, when I heard about Scry, I was like, oh my god, it's so awesome. I mean, it wasn't exciting. So, I feel the same thing about Bloodthirst. Um, it's not, I mean, I haven't really played with that many Bloodthirst cards or really cared about the ability that much, but, you know, I guess it's not a bad one to bring back. It, you know, it could lead to some interesting cards. What does it do exactly? Bloodthirst. Um, I'd have to read the exact mechanic, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, if a character... You want to go ahead and read it, that cast? Yeah. So each Bloodthirst has like a number next to it. So if you deal damage to your opponent and then play a Bloodthirst card, it comes into play with that many plus one counters on it. I think that sounds interesting. I mean, you bolt someone and then you throw in a critter for instance, when it comes in with plus three, plus three, for instance? Well, it's not dependent on the damage you deal, but how, like, what their bloodthirst number is. Aha, uh -huh, okay. But yeah, it is a pretty cool mechanic, and there actually have been some pretty powerful cards that have bloodthirst on them that I do like. And there, I think there are a couple of bloodthirst cards in the cube that are pretty good, but um, bloodthirst, I don't think is... I mean, I think it's only, only really appeared... For a lot, and like when the Avengers of the Ravnica block hasn't really had that much of a, a presence in um, any of the other sets, so I think it's kind of nice. Maybe it'll be, maybe they'll actually print some new cards and M12 will actually use Bloodthirst in interesting ways that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, it was really just one of those throwaway mechanics that you see a, a set has, a block has, and it never gets reprinted ever again. Except that it came out like they had like maybe one card with it, like in Future Sight, and then never saw heard from me again. And the only other thing from that announcement is the fact that they replaced um, when this creature goes to the graveyard with dies. And I think that, like, Hexproof, I could get over, but that truly is pathetic. Sorry, what was that? Whenever the text, like, wherever the text appears, whenever this creature is put into a graveyard or enters a graveyard or what have you, they're going to replace that with dies. So when this creature dies, then some effect happens. So, I mean, I can see how, from, like, a flavor perspective, it makes sense. Like, they they replace some text with, like, when this creature enters the battlefield. So it's, they're making the play zone now the battlefield. And that when a creature is put into the graveyard, it's dying. So, I mean, I can see from, like, how maybe to a new player, that would make sense. You know, you have dying and going into the battlefield, and the graveyard is where the dead creatures go, and blah, blah, blah. And but I just feel like the, I mean I think some things actually need to be made explicit because 
I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't actually played with all those cards. Like, have, I haven't had a chance to see the impact of the, the lessening of the wording, but I just feel like there are some things that would be more confusing by not knowing whether, like, to, like, a new player, like, what, do they know the difference between when a creature is killed and goes to the graveyard or when a creature is exiled or removed from the game? I mean, to them, it might seem like the creature is being killed or dying because it's no longer on the battlefield. I just feel like when you have that kind of distinction between those cards, it becomes a little bit more complicated. It's just kind of funny to me, at least, like, when you see, like, New Phyrexia, where they, they, like, push the game forward in such interesting, awesome ways, you know, like, the Phyrexian mana just is an amazing... Uh, mechanic to include in the new set. And then you have this announcement with Hexproof and Dive. You think that they're dumbing down this game so much. Just such a weird dichotomy between those two. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it's going to... Of course. Dive, I think, especially is going to affect hundreds and thousands of cards. Like, anything that talks about the graveyard is going to be, like, when target creature dies or, you know... It's just going to be, like... It's going to replace the text on a lot of cards. I mean, and and there is an argument for that. Um, because they do have limited space on cards, so the, the less text they can use to convey an effect means they can put more effects on the same card. So in that respect, I agree that maybe it's nice that they could, you know, decrease the amount of text they needed to print to be, you know, less explicit, I guess. But I just feel like dies. just, I don't know, for some reason that just bothers me, but I'll get used to it. I think the funny, like the one card that, I guess, shows up the best is that Arshin of Justice card they've already previewed. Um, that's going to be in the set where it's like the old wording was when this creature is put into your graveyard from play, you may remove target permanent from the game. And now the card just reads, when this, you know, when this card dies, exile target permanent. I mean, b- both ex- like exile and dies both reduce the amount of words from like 17 to like 7. I mean, it's a pretty big difference. So I can see how it could benefit the game overall. As long as, you know, some keywords people might need an explanation for. So, I mean, it, it makes the game in some ways a little bit harder to pick up because people have to go, what does exile mean? What does dies actually mean in terms of rules, you know? But I think for veteran players that already know what all that stuff means, it'll, I mean, it, it'll, it will be easier to play the game. Just new players will have to ask a few more questions when they get started. Well, when they, you know, reduce keywords like that and don't provide explanations. Yeah, I didn't see all those. All I saw was the ones in that article. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not familiar with them either. The cards I've spoiled so far have been pretty lackluster. They're waiting to spoil the good ones. I thought the tree folk guy was pretty kind of you know, ridiculous. I mean, there's no kind of evasion or anything, but still pretty, gets pretty big. Yep. Unfortunately, though, I didn't see them until after they'd already taken down the pictures. Oh, wow. Are you- yeah, Gathering Magic has the pictures. I didn't know that because uh, MTG Salvation had to take them down. Yeah, Wizards asked them to remove the pictures. Skullbriar looks pretty cool. The other two are kind of, yeah. Skullbriar, yeah. I mean, they all, they're all good. I just meant the pictures. I just don't like. I think the, the pictures for Eldric, like Edric is kind of, yeah. I don't know. And then Vishcal, I don't know. For some reason, like, the it looks like, one of those really old paintings of, like, Frankenstein or something that you would see, like, before people actually knew how to paint correctly. No, I mean, I don't know. I have a particular that style that I like. In terms of digital painting, I have a very exacting standard of what I think digital paintings should look like. And, uh, yeah. It's too amorphous, but I guess that's part of the, um, the 
the mood of the yeah, like the, the allure of the card to be kind of mystif- you know, mystifying and uh, gothic. And the uh, Skullbriar is pretty sweet. I like the picture on that. But all the effects are awesome. Of the effects, though, I think the one that took me most by surprise, and I thought it was probably the coolest, was the one on Edric, where uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very it's a very multiplayer effect, and it's also very political, which I think fits the you know the name of the card and the spirit of the card. So I mean, if your opponents want to draw cards, they can just attack people that are not you. Uh, so that, you know, all that ultimately works towards your advantage, I think. In some ways. So, I, you know, I like what they're doing with the uh, commander set. I almost wonder what what's kind of like whether any of these cards are actually gonna ha- are, are gonna have an impact on any kind of format outside of Commander. Would they be allowed in any of the formats? Because most of the formats are decided by the the sets that they encompass. I'm sure they like to play them in Hunter Cards but that's that's not really much of a format. I'm pretty sure these are gonna be legal in Legacy. No, they're always they're always if if they are legal in any format, it'd always be the formats that are like the older formats. They they, they would never like print these new cards and these kind of things to go in standard. Yeah, it's legacy. It's what the what they're legal in. I mean, Skullbriar could potentially be good in like a dredge deck, possibly. But, it, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, and I think that there's a lot of excitement for these Commander decks, because I think this is probably one of the first, like, sets they've actually made that legitimately people want to play. And also, it's nice that it's not full of just reprints, that they're making new multiplayer cards. Yeah, I'll probably be buying the uh, black, green, white one. Just because green and black are my favorite colors, and I'd prefer white over the other colors I could pick from. Mm, I like it. I I like that they're, you know, giving the format some some more ammunition. I mean, um, you know, I I personally like when they come out with these... um, these dual decks and these different types of um, products, it, you know, it keeps the game a little fresh because, you know, as much as I hate how often they come out with sets and new stuff to buy, it's, you know, they, it's kind of a necessary evil to keep coming out with these products. So, I mean, um, I like Commander, so it's, you know, it's, it's definitely nice to have some, some new stuff to play with that, you know, they don't have to wait for um, a new expansion. Um, political... Politics, whatever the hell it's called. Political puppets. Yeah, that was it. Cause that's like my favorite wedge color. Yeah. 
Like, it's always, it always has been. Um, red, white, blue. Currently, there's only one commander in the entire game that you can actually make with those colors. I mean, you could you could use a four-color journal, but in those sprays, that colors, there's only, like, one journal for that. I've opened 15 packs online of new Phyrexia, and my luck is nowhere as good as in paper. Just opened 32 in paper, and they were nowhere even good. I can open one in paper for you if you want. I only have digital packs. I think so. Let me go find it. Shame on you. How can you have a box there and not open them right away? It's so hard to resist. What do you use the boxes for? For drafting? It's like that Cax's box of truffles. He just, every, whenever he's feeling sad, he picks one out, opens it up. He won a legitimate pack. We want to hear the plastic rip. Alright, first card is, uh, on my, my pronunciation is going to be terrible, so just help me out if you think you know what I'm talking about. Um, Deremian Bat, 5 mana, flying, 2-2, two, two, tap a black and 4 colors to sacrifice it, target player discards 2 cards. I haven't played with that card yet, but I feel like, it, I mean, it could be a one-of in certain decks. Like, it's not that bad, but it's not a high pick. I think the, uh, the the payment to do that effect is kind of steep. I don't know if I want to pay that. Next card is um, Solitary Priest. We all know this one. Two mana, one, one. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain one life. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under opponent's control, you may have that player lose one life. You mean Suture Priest? Yes, yes. The sign draw attention to that. It's pretty good, I think. I think what makes it, I think what makes it actually a, a playable card is the fact that it um, actually decreases your opponent's life. So, like, if it was just like a soul warden where it gained you life whenever a creature was played, I wouldn't say it was good enough to play in a deck because life gain is not really that relevant. But the fact that it actually hurts your opponent as well as helps you, so it's pretty much like you're doing two damage to them. It's increasing the difference between your life and theirs by two each time. Um, you know, you play you play something, so it's actually pretty nice. Not a high pick, though. Anybody else have any comments on that one? All right, Grim Affection, three mana, and put on one one a minus one minus one counter on target creature, then proliferate. It's actually been really useful in drafts. Yeah, it actually looks pretty good. Uh, if you include the proliferate, I think it's almost like you're putting two minus one, minus one counters on a creature, plus you get to proliferate any other kind of tokens that you have on the board. So it actually is um, quite powerful. I think it's going to be um, a really good staple in, like, poison decks. Because one of my favorite poison cards is Virulent Wound, which is the one mana instant. puts a minus one, minus one, minus one counter on and gives a poison counter. And this thing, it's just like, not a replacement, but like a, an amazing complement to that. And it's just a good removal in any way, just in any kind of deck.
Alright, next card is Slash Pamper. Five mana. Uh, you, you may pay one red or proactive mana. Pace, four, two, for five. Sorry, I missed that. The Slash Panther, is that the 4-2 one? Yes, it's a 4-2 with Haze for 5. 1 per X in mana. Uh, it, seem, it seems good in, in Sealed, or Draft. It beat me up in a few of the games that I played during the pre-release. It actually is very good. That's a lot better if you get a Rage Extract or two. Do you guys think it can have uh, constructed playability? Or that it has that? No, not really. I mean, for most of the time it's going to be played as a core drop. And so think about all the core drops it's competing against, like Revenge Vine, um, uh, Emeria Angel. I mean, there's, like, there's like, so many core drops that are actually good, like Jason the Mind Sculptor, Emeria Angel, Revenge Vine. Um, and it just it seems to me like for a 4-2 with haste, it's not, I mean, it's not that good, considering I mean, it's, it's good and limited and good in Seelah because it's just a fast creature. But in construction, it just doesn't have the power to be competitive, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, most decks that like, I mean, what it has going for it is the fact that it's an artifact creature, but most decks that like artifact creatures, like Affinity and Metalcraft, tend to want low-cost artifacts, and this is not it, even if you play it for four. Alright, next card is um, Glacia Scorn. One green, one colors. Destroy target artifact. It's controlled. This is one life for instance. I actually had a chance to play this card. It was in my um, my pre-release sealed, um, and it's not bad. It's um, sort of like Green's version of Shatter, um, except actually probably better. Uh, but Green, I guess, has been as known for its you know artifact removal, so it's not as Good as it, I guess it would be in other colors, but I think it's a decent card, but not that high of a pick, I guess. Maybe like fourth or fifth, probably. Well, you gotta remember, green usually has both 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 enchantment and artifact removal in the same cards. Like you can have something like naturalize the same mana cost that would do the same thing, but better. You know, more options. You're basically trading the enchantments to keep to make your opponent lose one life. And I'm just not really sure if that's a, really a decent trade. It's not, but um, for limited, I think it's okay. Like you have Slipbox Replica is does the same thing, only kills artifacts, but it's a pretty high pick in any kind of green deck just because of the fact that artifacts and limited are relevant, and that there really aren't that many enchantments that are relevant at all in uh, draft. All right, next next pick or next card is um Pyrexian Hawk, which is I think it's a reprint, actually. It's a 5 4 for 6, vanilla. What's it called? Pyrexian Hulk. Pyrexian Hulk. Yes. No, this guy's bad. I wouldn't play him. Not even in draft? You wouldn't pick him? I mean, if I'm going to play a 6 drop artifact, I'd play Razor Field Rhino. Mm hmm. Alright, since there's not much discussion on that guy, um, next one is Psychic Area. Two blue for an instant counter target creature spell. It's control, lose one life. 
It's okay. I mean, it's sort of like turn aside. It has limited applications, and it could be main deck. It's not amazing, though. I've had multiple opportunities to draft this this weekend, and uh, I just can't bring myself to grab it. I mean, double blue for a creature counter. I mean, it, it could be played, but there's so much more that's better than it. Um, it's a reprint, sort of, of um, Essence Scatter. And that card was actually was playable in certain uh, constructed decks, and now and then you play it, you main deck it in, like, your um, draft deck. I mean, I think that card is mainly a sideboard card. The thing is, with creature counters, is that no matter what you play in Limited, you're going to have target for that at some point. But just the thing you want to balance is that whether or not you could be playing a different kind of thread in the slot that would be taking up. So I'd most mainly keep that card in the sideboard and just bring it in if there's a creature that my opponent has that I just can't deal with in any other way. I think that the card would probably go pretty late, so it's not really that worried like, whether you should pick it up early. Just wait till it's like 13th pick and grab one toward the end of the draft. Alright, next card is um, Hover Mirror. It's two min. It's an artifact creature, two mana for a flying vigilance, one, two. Hmm. It's not bad. It's, I mean, I think Metalcraft decks probably like it. Especially if you have like things like Signal Pest and have a bunch of Hover Mirrors and Signal Pest and just go all out with your aggro creatures. And it's nice to be able to play a Metalcraft card that actually actually has the evasion and can be used to damage your opponent. Whereas, you know, a lot of the cards you play in Metalcraft just sit on your side of the board and they can't attack because they're all, like, you know, small little creatures that don't have much utility. At least this guy can be an attacker and blocker. And if you equip him with something, like, you know, a, you know, Copper Carapace or whatever, you know, he gets pretty big. All right, next card is, um... Parastelic Implant, so one black and three colors for Enchantment Aura. Uh, enchant Creature at the beginning of your upkeep. Um, enchant Creature's Controller sacrifices it, and you put a 1-1 one, one Colors Mirror Artifact token into play. What was the mana cost? Um, three and one black, so four. Yeah, and it's not even Phyrexian mana, the black one. No, it's not. I like the effect, but it's pretty expensive. It's basically it's basically four mana for you to wait a turn to kill something and then get a one one token, which is an artifact token which does count towards Metalcraft, so it's got that going for it. Yeah, I mean it's removal spell, which is always good, like in draft and seal, right? Yep. Not always good. Like I think this one might be an exception because I, I had I had one of these in my pre-release pool. And the thing was, whenever I had it, it was just really underwhelming. Like, you you pay four mana to destroy one of their creatures, but you have to wait to the fall in terms of the, you know, they, they see your enchantment. They see your, your enchantment, they have a chance to respond to it. Plus, they, you know, if they can't respond to it, they have a chance to attack you and continue deal doing that. I mean, honestly, I think you're playing this on a creature you can't deal with in any other way. I mean, if you already have war control and you're just waiting for this creature to die so you can get in, sort of like a stalemate type match, then I can see how it could be good. But as sort of a reactive piece of removal to destroy a creature that's beating you down, it doesn't really work that well. No. Um, has any one of you played any drafts in uh, New Phyrexia? 
during the pre-release. How do you search I've, this? Yeah, sorry. I've done three. How how fast is the format? I mean, if you compare to, oh, I don't know, but we could say that you know, some block when it was released was pretty slow. If I would consider some some block to be slow, is uh, New Phyrexia is a faster or the same or? There's a lot of potential for really fast decks in it, but I don't know, it's... There's... Well, of course, with the pre-release stuff, it's triple New Phyrexia, so... The card pool is a lot smaller. And usually, you can be fine not playing anything for one, two, maybe three turns. But after three turns, you better start kicking out creatures or removal. Mm -hmm. Alright, next card is um, Viral Drake. It's uh, blue and three colors for a fire infect. It's a 1-4 and you can tap four mana to peripherate. This guy is sweet. I uh, played against a deck that had a bunch of these type of guys and I just think that this guy just, it, it just seems awesome. It's sort of like having it's like combining almost like a contagion class with a creature. I think mean, that's just an awesome way to, to do things, especially in like it works well in an infect. I think it's actually probably better than a contagion class because it just you can use the the infect part as sort of like the minus one minus one. It can just be spread over so many creatures and then proliferated. I mean, it makes a very good infect creature. Oh yeah, he's quite good. I can definitely see him being like all star in someone's draft deck. I mean, in 1-4, that's not nothing to sneer at. I mean, a 1-4 for 4 mana with Infect and Proliferate, I mean, th that's, that's very efficiently constant, I think. And there's not really that much that flies in the air that can get past a 1-4. The fact that it has the Infect means that you can just sit there, I mean, you sit there as a blocker and just kill, like, all those Serum Rakers, um, all those Sky, you know, Sky Eel Schools, just can pretty much, like, clog up the air and just go in and start winning with, you know, Poison. Alright, since that one's got song stampler approval, we're going to go ahead and go to the next uncommon. Um, Rage Extractor. Uh, one red, or Pyrexian mana. Four colors for artifact that whenever you cast a spell with Pyrexian mana and its mana cost, it deals, this card deals damage equal to that spell's converted mana cost, target creature or player. Does anybody need me to rephrase that? You sat in on one of my games that I was playing against Diacax not too long ago and saw what I think about that deck, or that card. Um, I haven't played with it, but I think it's probably more of a constructed card than it is a limited card, especially once the format goes back to being, you know, one pack of New Phyrexia, you're not going to have enough, probably, cards with, you know, with Phyrexian mana in them to justify playing this card. So, I think... It's a constructed thing and not a limited uh, card. Yeah, I guess you have to build around that card somehow. It's actually... Well, I mean, of course, with the pre-release stuff, it's triple new Phyrexia. But um, even if I have that card and maybe, like, three or four other Phyrexia mana cards, I tend to play it just because when you have the opportunity to use it, it is so huge. 
I guess I guess my thought is just thinking of its its mana cost. Like a lot of the Phyrexian mana cards are you would cast before turn four, except for like maybe it's the bigger ones like Molten Steel Dragon. You would tend to be like if you would were to have this in your hand, you would already have played them by the time you drew or had a chance to play Ridges Tracker. Alright, next card is uh, mental, mental Mishap. It's one blue or one Parexia mana. Um, counter target spell will convert mana cost one. Um, I think we all know this is a pretty big constructed card, especially in Legacy. I'm not sure how good it would be in Limited. I don't think it's going to be that good. I mean, there are some decent one-drops in the format, but not really anything you need to be countering. And you guys ready to go to the rare? I guess the last thing I said about this card, though, is especially when the format first starts, I think people are going to be picking this card probably too highly because they've heard about the hype about it being good in Legacy. So it's possible that it'll be a high fix for a lot of people, but... That's only good for it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be good for the regular players or just for getting the other good cards that are being passed. People that are valuing this card too much. All right, and then uh, our rare is Slag Beam, one red creature construction. Slag Beam power and toughness is each equal to the number of artifacts in all all graveyards, and it's a star slash star creature. In Triple New Phyrexia, I just drafted a couple of them today to try him out. He was very underwhelming. But once you do one pack of each block, there's going to be a lot more artifacts. So I think he's going to be pretty good for that format. I I think he'll probably still be underwhelming regardless of how many artifacts there are. But, I mean... Um, I think he, I think a deck that has lots of artifacts and that expects to face lots of artifacts wouldn't mind taking him, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't first pick this card. No, I might not first pick it, but I look at it as probably a top five pick. I mean, I guess you can look at it, like, if you saw, if this effect was on, like, a common or an uncommon, it'd be an insane card, just because it'd be a pretty powerful creature for one mana. The fact that it's on a rare makes it a bit less important, but nevertheless, like, it's still a good creature to have in your deck. It's just a bit... It's not a moment because it's rare, and the effect should be more awesome, I think, on a rare. But um, definitely, it would. I think... It, I mean, even if it's just a 2-2 two, two for 1, that's still a pretty good value for a creature. Yeah, I don't see any obvious sort of use for it. And constructed at least. I mean, this, the sad thing is that it's only artifact cards with all graveyards. So, I mean, like your spell bombs um, would be working, I guess. But like the thing, like it's I mean, if it was like if it was artifacts on like on the battlefield and in the graveyard, that would make the card really, really good. The fact that it's just in the graveyards, I mean, there's not really that many artifacts that you're you should can always expect there to be in graveyards unless you're running like a bunch of spell bombs or like sack artifact, you know, sack outlets to get things there. Yeah. All right. So, what is everybody's um, first pick on that pack? 
I would pick Viral Drake. I would too, that would be my pick. Rage Extractor. And Fist to seal the deal, what is it? Oh, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know. I like the cat, the 4-2 cats with haste. Alright. Alright, well that has been another exciting episode of Cracker Pack with your host, The Avenge 44. Stay tuned for next week. That's it for episode 27 of The Voice of Seraphim, Silent Partner. I apologize for the technical difficulties and hope it didn't keep you from enjoying the podcast. I'd like to thank the host, Eldridge Song, and our guest, Dark Worship, Fist, and Avenged for joining us this week. Next week, I won't be able to record The Voice of Seraphim because of a deadline at work. Members of the clan can join us for the next recording of The Voice of Seraphim on Saturday, June 4th at 9 p.m. Seraphim time. Until next time, this is Dyke Hacks. You've been listening to The Voice of Seraphim. Thank you.